This episode of the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you by iWake.com. Check out www.iwake.com for breaking news, articles, and exclusive videos. Thanks again to iWake.com. And now, it's showtime. He's been the voice of wakeboarding for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated Toad Water Sports' biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years on the water experience, charisma, and command of his audience, Noise of the North brings you the Golden Mike Podcast with Dano the Mano. Welcome everybody to the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. Once again, we're coming at you from sunny Orlando, Florida, the mecca of all things wake. And for those of you not familiar with me or what I do, I'm a chaser of the sun, a good steak for dinner after a long day of work kind of guy, someone who may need to hit the gym a little bit more. But most importantly, for the last decade, I've been announcing the biggest events in towed water sports, wakeboarding, water skiing, and more. This podcast is based off the lake life and the love of towed water sports. Twice a month, I'll be chatting it up with the industry's top names past and present, athletes and the people behind the scenes who make this world on the water spin. This audio podcast is brought to you for free on the first and third Wednesday of each and every month, both on iTunes and at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, iWake.com, Woodrose, Jammy Pack, Performance Ski and Surf, Hungry Boards, SUP, and GoPuck. Be sure to check out the sponsor link on the noiseofthenorth.com page to help support and find special offers and deals from the people who helped me make this show happen. More ways to support? Please subscribe to the Golden Mike Podcast free on iTunes and be sure to rate and review the show. Also, follow my personal Instagram at DanoTMano and both Twitter accounts at TheDanoTMano and at the golden underscore Mike. Feel free to contact me with any questions or comments through the Golden Mike Facebook page or email me at goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. Today is an ultra special edition of the Golden Mike podcast. I was invited to Lake Ronix by my guest and friend, Chad Sharp. Let me start off by saying it was so cool to be on location for this one. We actually recorded on the bi-level lake and for the first part of the interview, Ronix athletes were sessioning the setup right behind us being pulled by the two-tower system 2.0 setup. I do apologize if you hear some background noise, uh, like wind or the cable whizzing past us, but in all honesty, I think those sounds really add to this one. The interview is really good. Chad is very comfortable out at Lake Ronix, and it's good to see him in his element. We discuss his start in the industry. Him moving to Florida at 16 years old. Pointless. As we get deeper into the conversation, we talk about Brad Smela. His injury, along with the story about how Chad Sharp with Dean Smith were first to respond. Chad also discusses the importance of on-water safety. Now, after a quick sponsor break, get ready to find out more about one of wakeboarding's future Hall of Famers, Chad Sharp, here on the Golden Mike Podcast. 
Nothing's better than paddling with friends and enjoying a day on the water. And that's why you need to check out Hungry Boards SUP. Hungry Boards go the extra mile and are passionate about their work and the sport of paddle boarding. They strive to create stronger, higher quality boards at a better value. Hungry Boards are designed to provide performance and stability to help keep you hungry for the enjoyment of SUP. Be sure to like them on Facebook and check them out at www.hungryboardssup.com. Hungry Boards, real boards for real people. Hello, Chad. What's going on, man? Dano, what's up, buddy? Well, not too much over on this end, man. First up, I want to thank you for having me out here at Lake Ronix, man. This is a special episode. Oh, always welcome, man. I love to bring friends out here and, uh, you know, check the place out and have a good time. Yeah, and, and today's actually pretty special. Well, not only is it the, the first time that we are on a really, really, really cool off-site kind of studio spot, but there's actually wakeboarding going on behind us right now. Yeah, uh, Austin and uh, Amelia are out there ripping it, and uh, it's kind of a kind of a cool background. Yeah, a couple of the Ronix riders, and if you could hear that noise right there, that was the two tower cable. It's just going back and forth right now. We're on the bi level lake here at Lake Ronix. You might hear a couple landers, a couple dings off the rails, and so if you if you hear that in the background, that's what's going on. Yeah. So what else has been going on over here at Lake Ronix? Uh, it's been, uh, everybody's been super busy lately. Uh, we're kind of coming into that key part of the season where, uh, everyone starts to travel. So the catalog shoots coming up, everyone's been building new rails. Um, the whole team's been working as a whole front lake's been redesigned. This back lake's got like three or four new rails with more stuff coming and, uh, just kind of trying to get everything done before summer and start filming and working on new projects. Yeah, I spent a little bit of time out here over the winter. Ruck invited me out here, and I know you guys were, were building some new setups and uh, just driving through the property, seeing all the new stuff on the water. So definitely looking forward to seeing some of the new videos coming out. I know obviously I've been following the Ronix social media and have been watching a lot of the guys and stuff. And it's really cool. This is like a work in progress. It, I, I mean, this place always will be. It's, uh, there's, there's just so much to it that, you know, as one thing gets filmed and one thing gets done, you're right on to the next thing to keep it fresh and keep it going. And, you know, like you said, you, you're excited to see what's going to happen or what's coming. And we're just as excited to get going on it and hit new stuff and filming on new stuff and seeing what these guys can do on it. And it's just been a pleasure watching these guys ride over the last little while. I bet. What about where we're recording right now? Uh, the, the view here is it, is amazing. I mean, we're in a tiki tower, a tall, tall tiki tower. What's the story behind this thing? Um, this is like a somewhat new feature. It's only been here for about, I think, six months or so. Uh, it was actually something that uh, Brad Ruck and myself dropped the posts in. And uh, it was just kind of this tower that you could overlook the the whole riding area eventually we'll have the driver up here so he can see everything that's going on rather than back by the thing once we get a wireless remote and it's just been uh took a little while to build but i think we got it right we actually built this one to code and good to go yeah it's pretty cool man and i just can't get over it watching these guys going back and forth i've got the better view than you do right now i'm, I'm actually looking at the lake you're looking at the woods here but uh, with that being said, who are, who are your like top three favorite riders to watch here at Lake Ronix? Uh, I mean, that varies with the day and the feature, but uh, I'll just say, for for instance, lately, um, Austin and Dom have ac absolutely been killing it. Uh, so you're talking about... Austin Pratt. 
and uh, Dom Herndler. Exactly. Those two have been, every time they ride, you're seeing new lines. And then we got uh, Just, Justin and Todd Watson. Those guys come up with some pretty unique stuff. And then even uh, Jake, a uh, young guy. Yeah, out, Jake Pilat. Exactly, Jake Pilat. He's, uh, he's out here every day. Busts his butt, rides really, like rides amazing, young up and comer, and you know it's definitely fun to watch him watch him ride. And then, you know, every once in a while we'll have the kicker set up just to hit, and he'll do some stuff like, "Whoa, when when did you learn that?" Yeah, Jake spends a lot of time over at OWC as well, so it's cool to see you know some of these guys that are I I call them the hybrid riders, riders like you, guys that can ride cable, guys that can ride behind the boat, and you know are always coming up with new stuff. It's kind of, it's kind of a cool way that our sport is going these days. It's um the I feel like it's becoming more of a well-rounded rider thing, you know. There's it's starting to get blurred a little more between boat riders and cable riders and rail riders and you know, there's there's definitely a lot of guys out there that can do a lot of it really well. You remember when wakeboarding really first started taking off in the mid-90s and there was the animosity, the head-butting between water skiers and wakeboarders? Oh, absolutely. I'm I mean, wondering if we're going to see that between cable riders and boat riders ever, or if it's just going to be between wakeboarders and wake surfers. I was actually just going to finish that sentence that you did. It's uh, the cable guys and the boat guys, I mean, they all, I think they all respect each other really well for what they do, and especially like with the uh, the Malibu uh wake open a couple years ago where all the cable guys had to ride boat and all the cable guy or all the boat guys had to ride cable and i think there was a there was definitely a really cool uh mutual respect going on there for uh what he, what what each did so well and uh but then i think the more animosity is which i don't have any so don't quote me on any of this but it i could you could see it coming the wake surf wakeboard but i i'm really hoping that uh, we all learned from the whole water ski wakeboard thing and that everybody realizes that, hey, at the end of the day, we need to sell boats. And and it's a family thing as well. And I don't really care personally what you want to do behind a boat, whether you want a kneeboard or tube or wakeboard or water ski. To me, it, it's just about being on the boat with your friends or your family. That's yeah, it. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, as, as riders, you're in the, you know, you're obviously in the business of sport, but there's also the business of fun, the business of family. I mean, it's, it's, you, you kind of got to see it from all angles and it, as long as you're on the water, that's a good thing. Although, and I'm not talking trash at all, but I will say this, I moved to Florida, well, 13, 14 years ago. I met you about 15 years ago. And one of the first things you ever did was teach me how to wake surf. That is true. And sometimes I wonder if some of these top names in wake surfing even know. Oh, we I mean, we were doing it way back in the day on zap zap boards and old surfboards and I mean even like Byerly and those guys way before that on just regular surfboards and so I mean, wake surfing goes back pretty far. Dude, I was watching Are you ready for this? High Wake Drifters. Oh yeah, that's a great one. And there's a and there's a part in it where Byerly is surfing, wake surfing on a regular surfboard and he does a shove it. Yeah. You know? And that was 10 years before the first time I saw somebody actually do a shove it on a wake surfboard. And I just totally forgot that Byerly had been doing it for for all that time. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, the, I mean, yeah, it was just fun. You'd, you'd go wakeboard and then you'd go do other fun stuff, whether it was, you know, wake surfing or hitting triple up whips or there's, you know, stuff to stay on the water and do, some diff- do something different. Absolutely. Hey, well, let's start by talking about your roots. You're from Canada, the west coast of Canada, Vancouver, BC, British Columbia. 
not and and not too far from the U.S. border, right? You grew up just above Seattle. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up? Yeah, I actually, um, you know, I grew up in a place called Cloverdale, just outside of Vancouver, and uh, you know, it was a really cool, smaller town at that point. It's a bit, pretty big now, but uh, we were 15 minutes from the U.S. border, and uh, that that was actually kind of my start into water sports. Um, Bellingham, which is Bellingham, which is a town only 30 minutes from where I grew up, just across the border. There was an awesome lake, uh, Lake Samish. The Annan, the Annans grew up riding there, and it's actually a pretty rad place. My parents got a summer place there, and obviously started doing the kneeboarding, the water skiing, the wakeboarding, and that was, you know, it turned in from being a summer place to, can we go after school? Can we have to go after school? And you know, that was kind of my upbringing into wakeboarding, to just having a place to be on the boat and be on the water. So how exactly did you start wakeboarding? It sounds like you were on the water a little bit. I was. Uh, obviously kneeboarding, water skiing, and then I I did a, a little bit of competitive water skiing. Um, I did a little bit of slalom trick and jump. and wasn't very good at it. But, uh, you know, I'd get up every morning and go out with the ski club. And then uh, Jeff here, actually, his parents had a place on the same lake. And this one day, I just see him going down the lake, and three boats are following him, and he's just doing invert after invert. After, and I'm just like, whoa, like, what is that, and how is that wake so big? And so we ended up uh, getting a wakeboard a couple days later, and pretty much from the day I got a wakeboard, I, like, started bringing that to ski in the morning. I was, like, I was done on, I was, I was done on my ski at that point because it was just something new. And, some, and I'd, I'd already snowboarded before and all that stuff. I was, you know... The previous winter, you know, we're snowboarding 50, 50 to 75 days a year. So it was just kind of that natural progression once I learned wakeboarding was like this thing. What year do you think that was when you saw Jeff here riding? Uh, I want to say it was maybe 94. Wow. 93 or 90. No, at least 94, maybe 95. So obviously spending some time on the water, but but I know this about you personally that you're you're into some other sports as well. I mean, I know. Well, heck, after this interview, you're gonna go watch um, the Orlando City soccer play. But you also play some sports. I mean, I know you're into fishing. I know you're into snowboarding. You just mentioned that before. But you know, being from Canada, you guys are known for hockey. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I grew up pretty much as soon as I could walk, we were skating, and as as are a lot of Canadians. I think even like Ollie and Raf, and you know, it's. It's just kind of that's that's the sport you grow up playing in. I I absolutely loved it. I obviously don't have the size for it, but it was uh, I played all the way till I was about 16 when I moved to Florida, and uh, that was kind of end of end of my hockey days, straight into wakeboard. You played goalie, right? I did play goal growing up, but uh, I haven't strapped on the pads much since. So now I just play forward for the exercise. I remember seeing. And this was actually brought up to me last night. I don't know if you know this or not, but Andy Laz, who is one of your roommates at yeah, one yeah. point here a few uh, a year ago or whatever, but Laz helps create content for my show. He sends me all kinds of ideas to talk about and stuff. And he brought up a really good uh, memory, and that was the save in the Pointless movie. Yeah, that was uh, that was actually at the Pee Wee Worlds in Quebec, Quebec City. Um, I think we were like. I think it was thir- thirteen to fourteen. Was- I was gonna say you're pretty young in in that uh, in that clip right there. Yeah, I want to say it's thirteen or fourteen, and that was like that was kind of the year before I stopped, year or two before I stopped playing. But that was just on an insane team, and uh, you know we traveled traveled pretty much the country, and you know down in Colorado, like all over the place, and like from that team alone, like two two guys went to the NHL. Really, that's insane. I mean, 
It would there have been a possibility for you if you would have stuck with it? You think? I um, I just you know I was I'm five eight and you know like hockey hockey players seem you got to be have a little more size I think. Yeah, five eight, but six foot and skates and tough as nails, dude. That's true, but it's uh, well I don't know if that's true, but the um, goalies nowadays take up the whole net. They're so fast and big, and it's it's like it, it's like any of those those pro sports like that ever. The athletes are just so big and so fast. Right. What about snowboarding? You were pretty good snowboarder as well, right? Yeah, we. I used to um, probably ride. You know, hundred at at one point, hundred days a year. Moved up to Whistler for a little while. Had a small sponsorship and uh, just spent my whole whole winter in uh, Whistler entering local contests, and that was going all right. It was it was a lot of fun. It was you know it was definitely a fun point in my life. Your wakeboarding and your snowboarding, are they similar? Like, did you get a lot from snowboarding and translate that into wakeboarding or vice versa? I think early on, definitely at that point, it was, uh, I'd been snowboarding a lot more before I'd been wakeboarding. So that, I think that style transferred over a lot. But, you know, as, as I grew up in wakeboarding and, you know, it started going, you know, 60, 40 snow to wake to 80, 20 wake to snow. So I think as I grew as a wakeboarder, I kind of found an identity where is it kind of now when I go snowboarding, I try and do stuff that I learn wakeboarding or something. How did you decide to pursue wakeboarding as a more more serious hobby or sport? It uh it all started. I started going to uh, local events um, in BC where I grew up. Uh, Mike McComb actually had this BC tour that was at for its time was amazing. It was like you know a six or eight stop tour series that traveled the whole province and uh i originally just started riding at those and meeting more people and as i met more people i'd go ride different places and learn new stuff and uh that kind of you know propelled me into going to canadian nationals and then you know won a canadian nationals and then qualified for junior worlds and then my first year at junior worlds got fourth so i'm like okay this wakeboarding thing's getting kind of serious ryan and, ryan wolf actually won that year and i'm just and i'm assuming you're probably 15 or so at the time uh that was yeah 15 going on 16 gotcha okay oh actually at junior worlds the first year i, went, I was 16 about to turn 17 and it was around that time that you moved to Florida as well? Yeah, Jeff here was, uh, I, as we lived on the same lake, I got to know him a little better and stuff. And uh, I saw him at the boat show in Vancouver, and he's like, hey, I'm driving down to Florida tomorrow. I'm like, can I come? He's like, well, what do you mean, can you come? He's like, I'm like, can I get a ride? He's like, well, your parents know you're going? I'm like, no, I'll go ask them when I get home. Hey, mom, I'm going to Florida. <laughs> and how did they react to that? Uh, my parents have always been super supportive. They, you know, they knew that was, it was a passion and I was going to try and see it through as well as I can. So rather than, you know, make a big thing about it, they're just like, yeah, let's, let's see where this goes. Okay. 16 years old. And for anybody who's listening right now and is not familiar with Jeff here, Jeff here is one of the biggest names in Canadian wakeboarding, but he's also... He was one of the biggest names in wakeboarding in the 90s as well. Absolutely. So, and some other some other uh, Canadian names that I'm assuming you were probably involved with back in those those days would be somebody like Jeremy Kovac as well? Uh, a little bit. Um, Kovac, when I first moved to Florida, I was living in West Palm. Jeff and Jeremy were good friends, but at this point, they weren't really riding together much. So, I'd, uh, we'd go over to Jeremy's once in a while, but as, as the years went on, I got to know him better and better. 
I remember uh, Jeremy Kovac putting the uh, doing that waterproof wakeboard uh, instructional book when yeah. I first moved down I was to actually, Florida. That's that's actually in that one. Yeah, you Ruck. Yep. I forget who else is in that, but uh, yeah, that was that was that was pretty cool. So. I, Talk talk about what kind of role guys like Jeff here and Jeremy Kovac played in your career, in your uh, life back then. I mean, Jeff was, uh, I mean, he taught me everything about the industry, about, you know, just kind of, I came in, you know, super green, didn't know who was who or what was up or up was down. And, you know, he kind of took me under his wing and, you know, trained with him. And, you know, he taught me how to, with everything from contest runs, how to travel, how to, you know, who to, who to talk to and so on and so forth. And who to talk to is, you know, growing your career. What year did you start competing, like, uh, Junior Pro Tour? Uh, I actually didn't really do the full Junior Pro. I rode um, 90, I rode 197 Canadian Nationals, uh, got fourth at 97 Junior Worlds, and then uh, did the whole Canadian Tour and all that stuff, and then uh, ended up winning 98 Junior Worlds. Wow, and who are some of the names competing back in, at that uh, event? So '97, Ryan Wolf won. Okay. Um, I can't. I think Nathan Strange was second, and I was third or fourth. I was all the way down to fourth. And you probably had guys like Ruck, Danny Harf. Ruck's Ruck was a year. Ruck was the the year after I won. He was. That's when he started coming yeah, around. I, I got a, I got a year on Ruck. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, Actually, Shane. Shane got second. Oh, really? The year I won Worlds. Wow, yeah, it's it's insane how how long uh how long you've been working with these guys, huh? Yeah. You were in West Palm, right? That's where you originally moved down to. Ori- yes. Okay, so you spent a lot of time uh, at Okihili, correct? Absolutely. For the listeners who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about what Okihili is? Uh, Okihili is this um, originally just a, a wa- it's actually the county owns it, and it's a water ski wakeboard facility five like water ski style lakes and you basically buy a 30 dollar boat pass for the year and you can ride there every day it just goes in boat rotation and back then it was pretty busy so it got a little tense on the docks trying to get water time but uh you know originally living in west palm was a great time great time like you know that's when i first met watson when he, and watson's got like a year or two younger than me and like i actually got to ride with him a little bit and tara hamilton was down there andy laz was down there Dare, and so it was back then there was like a pretty big scene down in west palm were you being mentored by any other riders than the canadian guys um i was getting i was getting to ride with well one thing about uh living with jeff he we always traveled to different people's house whether we went to shannon best's house one day or we went there you know we were we'd come up we'd come ride with zane or we you know i'd I'd take a train up and go stay with Parks for a couple of days. Like it was, and it's kind of like wakeboarding is now. You kind of, especially as a young rider, you bounce around and go ride with different people, go ride with your friends. And it had to be a little bit different though for you at those in those days. I mean, this is pre Malibu sponsorship, right? For oh, you, absolutely. You're always probably looking for for that next uh, for that next pull, obviously. <laughs> for sure. Before you were on Ronix, you rode for Herb and Paul O'Brien. Were they the first guys to to really back you up and come out and sponsor you? Uh, the first actual like sponsor I had when I won Junior Worlds and actually just until the first tour stop of the nef- uh, the next year was I actually rode for a company named Label Wakeboards. It was a very small brand out of Washington, but you know they definitely definitely needed that to 
you know, make some money and move to Florida and, you know, help financially. And, uh, but the funny thing at that point is I actually rode for high back bindings. I didn't ride for Paul and Herb, but I rode for the, the bindings. Wait, like, like the high backs? Yeah. It wasn't like, it they was just kinda, sponsored you with boots. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was pretty cool. Were they actually like hyper light boots or something? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Cool. Very cool. So Herb and Paul, those guys have kind of been behind you this this whole time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been great friends with Paul since as you know, seventeen years old. Did that make the transition when Ronix started a little bit easier for you? Yeah, for me, it was a no brainer. It was, uh, you know, it's like, all right, what are we doing? You know, can we? We didn't know what was next, but it was uh, whatever. Whatever those guys were getting into, I was behind them hundred percent. What's been your role within? Other than just rider, what's your role um, been since maybe you've started all the way until today with Ronix? I mean, it's always changing, but you know, obviously rider. But then you know, it's constant R and D, especially with the new with the lake and stuff. It's there's something going on every day. Uh, Ruck and myself are here every day, and we got a great crew of guys um, that you know work on stuff, try and keep this place going, keep the everything from keeping the trees cut to having the the rails ready and you know, it's it's almost a it's almost a full time job as of that goes, but it's uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about video stuff. Um, I want to start off with Pointless Incomplete for for people who aren't familiar with Pointless. Pointless was a group of guys in the late '90s, early 2000s that consisted of yourself, Shane Bonifay, who I think was actually the leader yep. of the crew, Parks Bonifay, Eric Ruck, Nick Weinecker. Francois Ra, um, Sean Watson, Brian Grubb. Yep. Did you get Danny? Danny Harf. Am I missing anybody? I think that's nine. I think I got them all. Needless to say, these you guys were at a time when when things were changing within the industry. I mean, it was more than just fat sacks and skylons. I mean, it was all of a sudden it was rails and not just rails. It was big rails. I mean, you guys helped, you know, change the face of the industry with the pointless posse did the the way that you guys took your rail riding so serious how did you link up with the pointless guys it uh it actually just all it all happened supernaturally it was uh it was basically a group of riders that we you know rode with constantly we were always you know uh grub danny and myself were always riding at uh at danny's parents house and you know we we'd all been friends for such a long time and we're all already riding together constantly those were the guys you'd you know wake up like hey where are we riding today let's go do this and uh it just just naturally turned into this thing and shane got the great idea of like hey let's film all this and put it on put it on film and we had we had the crew and the means to build whatever whatever we wanted you know we when there's nine guys working on a rail it gets done fast or whatever if you need to help another guy doing something it it gets done so it uh it just kind of naturally grew into this uh really fun crew do you have any moments from the Incomplete movie that you could call your favorite? During Incomplete, it was like, it was never like setting up shoots or anything. Like nowadays, you know, you you set up shoots and these are the shoot dates and this goes on that. The The fun part of it was just how organic it was. It was, hey, let's, I got an idea. Let's, uh, let's do this. And there was no time frame of when it had to be done. And it was just whoever came up with the idea, we'd all try and execute, maybe make some tweaks to, you know, everyone would throw in their two cents. And the, the, I think as a whole, it was just fun because it was so, so organic. Like it was no, no set times, no set dates, you know, like 
hey, I'm really feeling this trick. Let's go do it right now and get it on film. And and at that point of your career too, I mean, that was that was a nothing to lose move for you guys. You guys had everything to win. I mean, you guys were just everything you were doing was just every month. It, yes, you'd see new photos of new rails. It was just gaining more and more and more exposure. And maybe you guys weren't the best contest riders, although. You all happen to do pretty dang well, well I mean, at I mean, contests. I think, I think amongst that crew, we got two overall tour winners, yeah. multiple, multiple world champions, tour stop, like all types of stuff. Yeah, but in those early days, I mean, you go to contests, and yeah, maybe with the exception of Parks, I mean, everybody thought it was going to be Darren winning the contest or Murray winning the contest, you know? And to see you young guns coming up, and, and I'm not talking trash at all, but I, you guys were very... Uh, very loose, and I talked about it on Parks' episode, but, you know, I, I've heard stories about you guys having good times up until 6, 7, 8, 9 in the morning and being back on the dock literally, you know, within a 45 minutes of the party ending. Yeah, it was it was a different tour back then. I mean, it was, you know, given yeah, our crew, we used, to, we used to have a lot of fun, and but it wasn't, the funny part, it wasn't just us. It was kind of the whole sport as a whole that was, it was, def, it was a different time. Yeah, things have definitely changed. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, and I'm not saying it for a negative way or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, the, the competition level has gotten so high and, you know, so technical. You know, the, you can't you can't go do that. Yeah, it, no doubt. And you know what? As a sport grows and there's more and more kids coming into the sport and stuff, and we've got to kind of be a little bit better at representing Absolutely. these days. A little bit more professional, so to say. I, I agree. How how long did Pointless actually take to film? Was it three years? Was that three full years of filming, or was that like two and a half? I, I can't even remember. Uh, I can actually figure this out. I I do remember. I do remember like Shane coming to Wisconsin to Think Tank and Parks coming to Think Tank, and I just can't remember if it was like ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand. It was probably two thousand. Like winter of two thousand. But when when did the video come out? That video must have come out in two thousand and. I feel like it was two thousand one, so it would have had to been ninety nine. No, it it was definitely before two thousand, because I was two years young going to Echo Chamber. Oh right, <laughs> which is no longer around. <laughs> Living with Grubby's parents. Right. Oh wow, I didn't realize you lived with Grubby's parents. Short time. It was awesome. So I basically I was living on. Um, Actually, in where Watson lives now, in Watson's house. Oh, you? Li- oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's where you lived when I first moved to Florida. Oh, no, no. Here, here's what it was. I was living on Jenny Jewel. We obviously got evicted due to some... You were living in Watson's house before it was Watson's house, before you lived on it was Jenny P- Jewel. Peter Fleck's house. Peter Fleck's house at the time. Yes. Wait, was was that pre-Jenny Jewel? Yep, it was, because when I moved into Parks' house in September of 2002, you were still... It was you and Jeff here. Across the lake. And then we moved out. And then you moved out. And then you moved to Jenny Jewel. That's right. Yep. So in between that house, no, it was in between whatever, wherever I was before that and uh, that house. So like West Palm and... Well, no, because I, I lived at Darren's for a while, then I lived with Nick and Jules. Yeah, it was in between Nick and Jules and that house. That house wasn't finished being contracted yet. So Grub's like, oh, my parents said you can stay, because both of his sisters were at college. Did you live there too? Or did, did Grub live there too? Or was it just Yeah, you? yeah. Oh, like gotcha. Grub was still living at home. So, But it was really funny, because like his parents are amazing. So Grub would have to get up and go to school, 
at like because he was going to UCF, he'd have to get up and go to school at like eight in the morning or seven thirty in the morning and drive from Windermere to UCF. I'd get up like nine, have breakfast with Grub's mom. He'd get back at like eleven. We'd just be finishing up breakfast. He's like, "What? You didn't leave no food for me." <laughs> we just have coffee and breakfast and chill. Hey guys, I'm gonna put things on halt for just a moment. We're gonna take a quick break. I want to tell you all about our newest sponsor, Hydra Boat Fenders. Hydra Fenders are innovative, unique, custom-made boat fenders, boat bumpers, and buoys made of quality, long-lasting marine materials that will last for years and years. Combining incredible softness for maximum cushioning with superior strength and durability, Hydra Fenders are eye-catching boat fenders, and everybody on the lake will be taking notice. Hydra Fenders was created to give individuals the custom innovative boating accessories that allow them to make their boats and lifestyle truly their own. Check out the original Skull Fender online right now at www.hydraboatfenders.com. Again, that's hydraboatfenders.com. And now, let's get back to the Golden Mike podcast with our guest, Chad Sharp. Chad, I feel like you've been in a lot of wakeboarding movies. Um, I'm not sure if you remember, but what was your first? Um, I know what it is. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was a Canadian wakeboard video. Okay. Uh, by Jake Thomas. I was going to say the first video I think I remember you in was Monkey on a String. That was one of my first trips. That was with Artie. I actually went, Ruck, Kobe, and myself all went to Vegas and shot it, shot with Artie at Havasu for a few days. That was early on. But uh, actually, my first like big U.S. video was uh, with Mark Woodlinger. It was, uh, oh, I can't even remember the name of it. It was back in those days, though. There were so many videos coming out. Oh, too. there were like six out a year. I mean, nowadays, it's like maybe one. Yeah, I mean, one or but, two. yeah, it's just, it's a different... Yeah, there's n- not many wakeboard videos coming out, but the content is, is is out there. I mean, there's you can go to the Ronix uh, Instagram page and find new clips of you every you know every other week or so, or even just an athlete's social media. <laughs> yeah, or your or your personal social media exactly. Or any favorite movies out of all the years that stick out? I mean, I, I'm thinking Monkey on a String, Boombox, Incomplete. All or nothing. I mean, these are just these are just a few of the videos. But is there any any um, movie in particular? Incomplete was obviously one of the most defu- most fun to film, but that was just our lifestyle. Like the the video really portrayed what we were. We were, we were kids. We were having fun, and uh, counterfeit this. That was you know everyone kind of filmed their own sections, and we just kind of left it up to the rider to, you know, if you want a good section. Do some filming and get it done, and then you know Jack Blodgett put it together and did the editing, and we'd go sit with him while he was editing it. It was it was very pointless style, pointless esque esque. Thank you. You know, since I've had this idea in my mind for like eight years, and I've never done it, I'm just gonna drop it right now. I I came up with a spoof of the movie rewritten called rewritten, and it was gonna be spelled W R E written. And the opening scene was going to be eight barefoot boats, all staggered with one wakeboard boat just fully loaded. And all these barefoot boats were going to cross the wakes and everybody, all the footers were going to... You call it rewritten on fire. Yeah, rewritten on, like, feet on fire. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody's been asking for feet on fire to come back. I know what's going on. 
I want to make it happen. I just want it to be right. You know, I do it up in Wisconsin with my old water ski team. I still do. And if you, if I don't know if you heard, but Daniel Watkins also ran one in Australia. Yeah. But the feet on fire down. Those those need to be the regionals coming up to the to the big one. Yep. Maybe it got a little bit too big, and that might be why I haven't done one in in a lot of years. Really? Because it was it was just like you know every year you. You know, spring comes, the Aussies come back in town, everyone kind of gets back acclimated, the season's about to start, and then you got a few events that, you know, happen before the season starts that are the, the big fun ones. You know, you, you do Feet on Fire, which is one of the highlights, and then there's Shane's birthday, there's, um, you know, there's a bunch of on-water stuff, yeah. not exactly to do with, like, traveling or the tour stuff, but, like, they're, like, the real fun ones you get to do before everyone's gone for the summer. And that was like one of the highlights, and we were, I really miss it. I know, and you, you used to actually train pretty hard for Feet on Fire, too. Well, the first first one I didn't, first time I ever dropped a ski was at the COD test. Did you make it? Through the round? Yeah, it was against Kevco. Yeah, it's insane that you beat him. He's a water skier. I never dropped a ski before, but... um. I uh, and and then after that we were just you know we had jets I had a jet ski at that point and we were just hey it's glass calm let's go for a foot then a wakeboard yeah I think I I think I definitely came out with you a couple of times I think you and I used to butt heads a little bit because you always wanted to barefoot off of a surfboard and I was always like no you have to step off of a ski yeah but which until you, can you do. taught me to deep water yes which is a story in itself yes and actually very funny. It is the last point that I have before we close the show out today, which is still coming okay. up in like we'll 10 or 15 we'll, questions. We'll, 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 but... come back, we'll come back to that. <laughs> hey, back in the day, and maybe even now, you, you've never really been afraid of much in regards to rails, kickers, and double-ups. As far back as the early 2000s, you were gapping ramps uh, to rails bigger than anybody else. I want to hear about a couple of those. I want to start by talking about the Pro Tour ramp to rail, which I think was done at OWC. It was. We uh, that was uh, that was a, a fun little shoot. We kind of Mike Ferrara was working there back then. It was Mike's place, and uh, we basically had the keys to the boats, the keys to the jet skis, and they had just left their stuff out there. So we kind of hijacked it. And uh, I'm like, hey, I have this great idea. Let's put the kicker here and try and air up to the thing. So we tried it a little small and then just kept pulling it bigger and bigger. And so, and by thing he's talking about, at that point, it was called the slaughter box, right? Yeah, it was basically, uh, it was really tall at that point, though, but it was just a floating fun box. But, I mean, at, the, at that point, we were, we were trying new stuff. We were trying to figure out, you know, what what you could gap to, how much... That was in the Pointless movie, too, right? It was. And that's the same... So, okay, so it was a kicker, probably, what, 40, 40 foot gap to... The top rail on the fun box. And you're being pulled behind a boat, not behind a cable. This is pre... I mean, yes, OWC was there, but this... See, cable parks, I mean, it's hard to kind of build one-off unique rails because it's some, some something someone uses all the time. But now with the, we have System 2s out here and stuff like that, we can build one-off rails or one-off gaps and, you know, it's, it's not a public area. So the next kid riding behind you isn't going to go break himself off. It's right. A, it's a more controlled environment but with that being said i also remember footage of a young colin harrington going for that gap as well right i believe so yes and he like slid out off of the kicker that's right if, I, if i'm not mistaken either oh, yeah, yeah. 
So that was that the gnarliest gap that you've ever hit. Um, obviously at that point that was the gnarliest gap at, that had ever at, been hit. At that point, for sure, there have been um the I think the actual sketchiest one that I can remember or that that I'm that I'm that's coming to the top of my head was uh the second road gap we did at, over the road at um the projects and they built that one single treks wide and this was very early on so like single treks it was like kind of new to us everything we had always built was two treks wide and my first hit over it slipped out less than a quarter of the or not even slipped out just came off and then cartwheeled across the road right and uh had hit the helmet so hard that it had cracked the helmet and i was bleeding on the head through a helmet and now i don't know if this is true or not but i heard that you actually almost did it without a helmet first and pat panacos right before you hit the water told you to put a helmet on that is a true story and the funny thing is is this was that was exactly the next uh that was the next thing on my list right here and i was going to say the project's gap did it make the cover of Alliance, or was it just a... I think it was. might have been a two-page. I actually just recently got the photos from it, so, so it'll be a, a throwback Thursday or flashback Friday here soon on social media. Yeah, or you should like put it on a canvas or something like that and put it up on your wall, because that was, that was I mean, that was like the pinnacle at the time. Yeah, and th- at that point, it, well, at that point, it was just like there were a few guys doing, like Parks was always front runner on that Shane was always right there like it was it was really cool to be a part of the, that crew to you know one to be pushed and like hey let's do this let's do this and you know on, and the second is just being a, amongst a group of guys that was willing to do the same things and it was you didn't think of it as an early gap you're just like all right we've already done this that's no different than doing that over the water and it was just trying to trying to make the sport look a little bit different like it was because you look at at that point, you look at snowboard magazines or skateboard magazines, and you know they're gapping over a road or they're doing this, and we're like, wait, we can do that. We can do that on our sport too. It was kind of taking wakeboarding from being kind of gymnastics based, just flips and spins, to more lifestyle. Absolutely. Some other some other um, big stuff that I can remember: free for all. That was when you you were a part of that, correct? That's right. That was uh, Kyle Schmidt, Parks and Shane, and yourself, and you guys built what it was that it had to be like twenty five feet going up of a U haul truck, a pool on top of the U haul truck, and then another twenty five foot rail going off of the U haul truck. That right? was Bump Films, Mark Bame. That was uh, one cool thing about that. Well, the shoot was awesome, and the sh- the shots we got from was amazing. But was that was one of the first ones that we didn't build. That was um, Kyle Schmidt and Bame and Kurt Robertson. They like, basically, they gave us an address to a cow field and told you to meet them there. And told them to meet them there. And yeah, and they were like, "Hey, Doster is gonna be out. We're gonna be shooting this. Like, we got this great idea. They kind of sent us a couple photos. We're, you're gonna be going over the top of U-Haul." And we got there and we're like, "All right, so you got to ride up that." 40 foot up ramp just to get into the pool with the rope run and it actually worked though like it it worked out pretty rad but kyle schmidt who built it oh i felt bad that day he hit it first right and got first, hurt first, right away first hit did a knee oh yeah that was that was horrible but and and you know what else was crazy about that rail and and i've got one more rail i want to mention also after this one that first of all you can't see the pool so you it's a it's a blind takeoff you're riding up that ramp you can't see anything 
Once you're in the pool, you're golden. Yeah, but even that down ramp, like that view, you can't really see it that see, well, the, right? See, the down ramp wasn't uh, the down ramp wasn't that scary because once you're in the pool, at worst you can cannonball right to the bottom. But the scary part was coming into the front of the truck because there was 15 feet of land, uh, like the rise of the land was at least 15 feet before you even got to the truck. So it was um, the scary part. I, I think you could ask all th like all the guys that hit it. The scary part was the ride up, not the ride down. You guys are crazy, man. And it, and it just goes to show how much at that point of your lives. And you guys, this was around 2001, 2002. And it just goes to show how much that the Pointless Boys had already brought to the table. That the fact that for once you didn't have to build the gnarly feature. It was I, built for you guys. That was pretty much one of the first ones like that. It was just like, meet us here. And you're just like, we show up and we're like, maybe we should have been here. And then we, we started doing the figuring it out and we're like all right all right this, this will be cool but yeah. uh then, but then there was always parks so you know we kept talking to pointless boys and so we'd all be hitting something for a while something big that we built or whatever and parks would just kind of roll in kind of watch what everyone was going on and then just completely crush everyone's trick his first whether his first trick second or third trick he'd be like all right cool you already got this rail yeah he's a machine who's like the parks of nowadays I, I don't know if there's an exact Parks of Nowadays. I mean, Parks is just... Uh, like, if you were to say Parks Off the Wake, you're probably talking about Harley. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, but there's... Parks on the cable. I feel like the sport's so much bigger now. There's there's so many different, you know, different aspects. Yes, there's cable. There's the park guys. There's the, you know, Parks... At that point, you know, there was basically Wake and some rails and stuff. But now there's wakeboardings. It, which is really cool in wakeboarding. There's so many different aspects of our sport. I give you credit because through it all, it seems like you've been able to keep up a little bit with all aspects of it, uh, whether it's behind a boat, whether it's on a cable, whether it's on a winch, whether it's on a jet ski, whether it's on a two-tower cable. I mean, you've been able to... Uh, to me, it seems like you've done something noteworthy off of every aspect, every discipline in wakeboarding. I just kind of see wakeboarding as, I mean, whatever the vehicle is, there's there's going to be fun stuff to do. Last year you released a pretty gnarly video section, I think on the internet is where I saw it, with um, some huge features from right here at Lake Ronix. Um, and we saw a couple of them personally when we were driving by. I'm talking like the, the kicker to the top of the wall ride and some of the stuff that you were gapping over and jumping over and you got majorly broke off filming that that video if i if i'm not mistaken um you, you know which video i'm talking about absolutely right now? the my season edit yep your season edit exactly how at over 30 years old and i can say because i'm over 30 myself <laughs> a guy who's been a veteran a guy who's been getting broke off for over over a decade and a half a guy that's been the guinea pig for so many of the biggest rails in our sport. How do you still do it? Well, I I'm not sure exactly, but it's I try I try and stay as active as possible. Um, you know, whether it's you know running almost every day or riding the bike or you know doing multiple other sports to try and keep strong and training. And I I'd like to think that's maybe why I've been able to stay pretty healthy with the exception of a few injuries here and there but it's i mean I, i'd guess it's a lot of luck also i mean you could take that one hit and 
do a knee or do this or do that and that sure sure are you are you working on anything for this year yeah we're, as far as uh edits absolutely um just getting started now there's there's something in the works that you guys will hear about pretty soon as uh you know i think as a Bronix as a whole maybe i'll hear about it once we turn the recorder off could be <laughs> um chad i want to rewind the clock to the parks's double or nothing contest uh, and this could be as far back as eight nine ten years ago uh you did an indie glide which some may say including yourself holds the record for biggest air behind the boat of all time and when it slowed down they captured 33 full frames of you while in the air does that still hold up uh as far as i know but i mean dude some of the kids these days are doing some pretty big stuff but i actually uh i was at a double up contest uh the last three or four years uh, a bunch of us have been going to spring ride and it's out there in california that's right the cei guys and or cie i'm sorry and uh they uh have best trick in big air so immediately I'll try and knock out a big air. And uh, actually this was like, I think two years ago, and I missed it by one frame. Really? Are you st- are you still chasing that? You still want to break not, that? or Not necessarily, but in a double up contest like that, I mean, it's an event that Randall was at and Ricky G and, you know, some, some guys that tend to boost off the double up. So you're probably going to want to go as big or far as you can. Right. Maybe not necessarily as technical as some other guys, but the biggest. Yeah, so it was, I mean, there was a prize for both. I think uh, Rusty won, Rusty won best trick, and then... And he landed a 1080, yeah? That's right. Yeah, I heard about that. I was out, actually, we were out there for a Malibu event the following weekend. We were out there for the... Um, Rider Experience. Rider Experience, and you were there. I was. I did three back-to-back weekends there. Yeah, yep, with the Pro Tour weekend the following weekend. Uh, that was a special weekend for me. I, I brought it up in the Brian Grubb interview, but he kind of forgot about it. You guys taught me how to land a back roll there. That is exactly right. That was awesome. You remember? Third try. I know. Third try. At Lathrop. Yep, exactly. I can't wait to go back, man. I'm really, really looking forward to uh, all of the Malibu events this year. I'm going to be with you at Phoenix, Montreal, and Denver. How about if we say it like this? I'm going to be with you at Phoenix, Montreal, and Denver. I don't know. I think that's the other way around. <laughs> we'll, see. well, you're the Malibu rider. So, um, Chad, I want to get a little bit serious for, for a few minutes um, with us sitting where we're at here at Lake Ronix, um, at the bi-level lake here. If it's cool with you, I want to talk a little bit about Brad Smela. Yeah, that's fine. You were one of the first responders the day he was injured. In fact, yourself and Dean Smith were the first two in the water from what I understand. Brad says you guys saved his life. How did you know how to respond? As soon as he left, you kind of saw it was going bad and uh, Dino was actually pretty much in the water before he even hit and we keep a paddle board there for safety. We had just uh, literally maybe Less than a month before, uh, Brad, myself, and then probably about 10 other guys over at the projects did water safety course, CPR, all that stuff. That's why we leave the paddleboard there and stuff, and just just in such an event like that. And uh, as soon as he hit the bottom, we saw we were in bad shape. Dean just started swimming, and uh, I grabbed the paddleboard to chase him out. And uh, Spencer Norris was actually in the water pretty much just as fast, put his camera down, and came straight out. And, you know, it's... It, 
it's any one of the guys would have done it for any of the guys. You just, you know, you someone's in trouble, you got to take care of it. Over the years, I mean, you've dealt with other injuries with your friends. I mean, I'm sure you even had friends or yourself. I mean, I know and we're going to get to this in a few moments, be knocked out cold. Um, how were you able to gauge the severity? At that point, you don't. Whether it's me or Brad or how, whoever took the hit, you have no idea what the severity is. I mean, we're, we can only do the best to our knowledge. And luckily, at that point, uh, we had some knowledge of what to do and how to stabilize by, you know, I, it, it's a great thing. Henshaw just did one at his place. A bunch of riders just did the CPR course, water safety. And, you know, it, it's it's just simple little things that take an hour out of your day. Do you, okay. Pre, now you, you said it here just a few minutes ago, and I, and I know that you guys did this because Brad and I talked about it a bunch. The fact that you guys took that safety course going into the season. You 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 make it sound like you guys took it a month before Brad's injury. Brad's injury happened uh July 5th. All right, so or 6th. It, it was a little before that then. And and actually I I actually remember when you guys took the safety course. If I'm not mistaken, it was actually in March because I I for some reason I remember the day I I actually looked at it and I was like, "Man, I should actually have gone to this." Pre the safe pre this particular safety training would you have would would you have known the same uh stuff the, the same tactics as far as uh, saving somebody before that um i mean i i had taken i had taken cpr multiple times over you know over my life but uh the water safety thing was definitely a big thing uh just you know just having the paddleboard there and stuff like that and just knowing how to move someone and use using Using the shore as a backboard, right? You know, rather than trying to pull some under the water and waiting for someone who's more equipped to get the, get him out of the water. Well, and that's the thing that a lot of people don't know about water safety is that when it actually comes to if if somebody's head down, if they're face if they're face down but broken neck, there's still a a special way to flip them over, not to so you don't injure them anymore. And you know, I I saw it I saw it happen on a at a tour stop, you know, 10 years ago, Sean Murray KGB going down on that KGB five. And I was, and you know, I grew up in the ski show and every summer we had to do safety training. Every summer we had to backboard people. We had to be backboarded ourselves. So I had a little experience and I, and I, I remember Andrew and I talked about this in our episode and I remember the boat getting somehow being able to get back to Sean before the safety jet ski with the, uh, with the medic. And I just remember the guys kind of like jumping out of the boat at him and, and the boat coming back too fast and stuff. And, and from what I had known and what I had learned in the past, I, I didn't think that they kind of went about it the right way. It's an education thing, though. Exactly. I mean, you see, some, especially a friend, because all those guys that were in the boat were good friends with Sean. A friend or not. Right. You know, someone, get, someone gets hurt with you like that, you're going to respond the best you can. Like, oh, my, he might be drowning or whatever. But if... You know, after you do the course and have the education, there's a better way of going about it. When Brad was injured, you know, I know the adrenaline must have been pumping on you, but also at the same time, it seems like you guys were able to stay calm and collected yourself and Dean Smith. How did that work? It was it was more of a surreal thing. It was, you know, at, at this point, you know, you, you got to you gotta go back to the injury. Like, we, have, we had no idea whether he had a stinger or whether he... We we had no idea exactly where Brad was at. You know, our our biggest focus was, you know, making sure 
we're no matter what what his injury or where it was, and it would be for any rider on the team or rider in general that was here, you know, getting them the safest way to the shore and to the right, you know, whether it's the ambulance or the Sure, and you guys actually had to call in the medevac, right? The helicopter. Uh, well, we tried to. I tried to on the phone, but uh, a, an ambulance actually has to come first, right, before they can call one. But the second they pulled up, they, especially how I mean, we're we're a little bit remote back here. Sure. And is it true that Brad was almost trying to tell you not to call them or something like uh, that? If I can use one word of language, I'm just gonna use it for this clip. He goes, "Don't you." Oh, that helicopter, they're expensive. <laughs> that is so insane, and it's crazy because Brad has gone back onto record saying that literally an hour after all of this happened, he doesn't remember the next week of his life. He was completely coherent. He was like, he had to give us the address, something that I should have already known. That's 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 insane, man, but uh, I, give you, I give you a lot of credit, and, and Dean Smith, and I know Brad gives you guys a, a, a ton of credit as well, man, and... Uh, and I and I just hope that it it helps other riders realize, like, hey, especially people who are on this level, that there's more to it than just fun and games and you know getting free rock stars. I mean, there's there's always that chance, and I mean, Brad, we absolutely love him, and everyone has to pray for it. Or it doesn't have to, but everyone pray for his speedy recovery. They and, should pray you know, for his speedy should, recovery. Thank you. you know, we we miss him, and you know, can't wait for him to be back. Now, we talked about this before, how you have taken lots and lots and lots of risks over the years, and even in your 30s, you still continue to take these major risks, and it goes to show in that video, your season-ender video short from last year. Has Brad's injury changed your approach at wakeboarding? I'd like to say I maybe a little more cautious on certain things. Do you find yourself holding yourself back? I, I wouldn't say holding back uh, in that sense. Maybe, you know, going, thinking stuff over more and, you know, coming up with a, a more of a plan rather than just going, all right, that's a good idea, let's do it. Right. Sure. Maybe a little more planning. Yeah. But, I mean, but, but Bad's thing wasn't a bad planning thing. He was on fire. He was, I mean, he had just stuck, he had just stuck the trick he was trying to do two hits before. Like, he was popping off doubles like they were nothing it was right it was very unfortunate go man this has been so great we're having a lot of fun but i'm going to put things on halt for just a moment to talk about one of our great sponsors gopuck is a mountable compact durable and portable rapid charging battery gopuck allows you to stay connected capture priceless moments and enjoy mobile freedom check out their website gopuck.com be sure to use my promo code MANO2015, M-A-N-O-2015, and you'll get an extra 10% off your entire order. Hey guys, I'm Brad Smaler. You're listening to the Golden Mike Podcast with the one and only Noise of the North, Dano the Mano. And now back to the Golden Mike Podcast with special guest, Chad Sharp. I saw a commercial you did talking about and also reenacting a near-death experience of your own, uh, which led to some work with the National Safe Boating Council. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, yeah, probably about four or five years back, uh, Scott Stewart was over uh, middle of the winter, kind of a cold day, but, you know, just kind of go out and just do some tricks, just try and, you know, keep the muscles in gear for the upcoming season. And 
I uh, was wearing a full wetsuit and just, uh, you know, I usually always wore a vest, but it was just one of those days. It's like, whatever, I'm just going to do some wake jumps and some this and that. And just did a back five, which was just, you know, pretty a textbook thing and uh, caught a back edge. And I was, when I say said stinger earlier, like took a stinger, which pretty much paralyzes your whole body for a short period of time. But I had no vest on and I was lucky enough to still be in my bindings. And uh, it was just the most insane. I was completely coherent and aware of what was going on and trying to swim to the top and was just looking at it, couldn't even move. And lucky enough, Scott Stewart was back very fast and got me out of the water. He just pulled me onto the flat back platform and let me lie there until slowly things came back. And that started with the hands and then wrists and then kind of worked its way through the body. How has that changed uh, things for you? I mean, obviously you'll never see any video of you uh, no. without a vest on anymore, but is that just for video or is that a no, new, is that your new lifestyle? I mean, definitely it's, I had always, I'd always been pretty good about wearing a vest before that. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, out of a thousand times riding or 500 times riding that year, there were probably two times I didn't wear a vest. And now there's, you know, 500 times riding this year, there'll be zero times not wearing a vest. What about riders that like don't wear vests? What are your thoughts on that? It's uh, you know, obviously that's their own call. They're they're grown ups and they're big big kids, but I mean it's it's such a simple thing to do. Vests nowadays, even if it's not a Coast Guard one, there's something that's slim enough that you can wear a t shirt over if you think it's too thick or just something, you know, something that'll at least keep you somewhat neutral. At the minimum, I'd like for somebody who I'm riding with to be wearing something because even if it's not going to fully float you with your head up, it's way easier to get somebody out of the water that's only that five you, or ten feet below. That, that <laughs> than, you can find. Exactly. Exactly. And that and it's huge. So have you done any more work with, with the Safe Boating Council at all? Uh, we did the video and then uh, I actually traveled to uh, a conference with um, a lot of the law enforcement from the U.S., uh, the boating law enforcement, and actually did... Uh, some talks up on the stage and it was actually a really cool experience because they're like a lot of the stuff they were a little green on too they're like well you know with this coming out and this coming out how do we police it they were more asked which was really cool about the council because the law enforcement from another country was almost asking them like you know what what should we be looking for what's right what's wrong like it, it was a very cool experience very cool and i actually put the website down here just in case uh, safeboatingcouncil.org and then if you just type in your name Chad Sharp you could probably search videos and find that video pretty pretty easily I would assume I actually just they just featured it on uh, some of the websites I think Alliance just put it back up and uh, it, so it's it's still definitely kicking I think that I, I just think with the summer coming along I think that safety is something very very important and Something that kind of gets lost because wakeboarding is fun, of course, you know, and you never and you, towed water sports is fun, being on the boat is fun, and you know, it's not fun dying or drowning, you know what I mean? So, you never want to talk about it, but uh, no, it's a serious an, thing, unavoidable accident, exactly. Accident. It really is, it, it really is. So, check that out. And honestly, Chad, we, we do, I appreciate it a ton. And the fact of the matter is this. Look, I, I'm no professional wakeboarder or water skier, but at the end of the day, I know that people do look up to me 
as a, a toad water sports person and even more than me people look up at you and they think what you're doing is cool and i would hate to see some 10 year old kid not want to wear a vest just because he doesn't think that it's cool because it is cool there's nothing not cool about it. I mean... Vest technology's gotten pretty rad these days, too. Yeah, it, it really them, has. Some of them are more comfortable. And then when you take a hard hit, that definitely... And I don't take that excuse that it hinders your movement anymore because there's a vest for everybody. And you know what? If you don't want to wear a vest because it hinders your, your movement, you can get one of those CO2 cartridge vests <laughs> that after you sink we actually, four feet... We actually use those in the, in the safety video. Really? So we, it was obviously a reenactment. The actual crap. Yeah. No, I remember. Actually, I did see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, actually, Coram was in the boat, and some friends were in the boat, and they actually all had were wearing the CO2. I did a photo shoot for Bass Pro Shop, and I had to wear one, and I was just the boat driver. <laughs> so. <laughs> They're actually pretty cool looking. but Well, not cool looking. They're cool how they work. Yeah. Maybe maybe Ronick should make, like, a vest like that, because that's still Coast Guard approved. I feel like that would get expensive, deploying that all the time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh-oh, those, going down. For those crashes that you actually, like, fall three feet under the water on. Um, we talked about this earlier, and now it's time to get to it, the fun stuff. Obviously, been doing, you're my 16th podcast now, so I've had have a couple of these under my belt. Veteran. I like to bring up old fun stories, and unfortunately... The direction that this podcast is going in right now, a lot of your and my old fun stories are not quite appropriate to talk <laughs> about uh, over the internet. Needless to say, if anybody ever sees us in public, they can go ahead and ask, and I will. I'm an open book, especially after a couple of frosty cold beverages. I agree. Um, I want to talk about the. I I want to say it was my first or second trip to radar. It was one of the two. Um, I got to Radar Lake. And you walked up to me, and you were there. It was a dealer meeting that was going on. You had all of the Ronix dealers, and you're like, Dano, you got a barefoot. It was a beautiful night out. And, I, okay, I'm in. I go for it. And you pull me barefooting around one island at Radar, and then you pull me around the next island, and you drive me right into huge double-ups. You basically run me right into the waves, double-ups. There was, But you made the islands. I made the islands. I didn't make it, although I, I do think... In the future, maybe summer of 2015, I could make both islands and make it back to my ski. Um, I didn't on that particular day. Also, I was out of shape. I've got a list of excuses. It was dusk. The sun was pretty much set. Yeah, but at Ra- at Radar Lake, there is no, right? There is, you know, as long as the lights are on. Absolutely. You can... So... But I don't want to talk about myself on this one. I want to talk about you. You were really getting into learning <laughs> uh, how to barefoot at the time. And for some reason, you decide that you are going to learn how to deep water start. Well, I had a, I had a good barefooter with me, you. And I'm like, teach me deep water. So you decide that you want to learn a deep water barefoot start. But there's no barefoot suits. I didn't know that was a... You didn't even I'm, know. I didn't know that was a must. So, well, it's not a must, and you proved it that day. I can't remember if I was driving. I, I think I was instructing. I think you were instructing. Were, I remember was you driving on the back parks. laughing. Well, you're in your board shorts and a life jacket, and you go for your first try. Somehow you get close, and your second try. Somehow you get close, and your third try. Now, to do a deep water barefoot start, 
you land your back, you put your head back, and as soon as your head goes underwater, the boat puts a throttle down, and it goes from 0 to 20, 20 to 25, to 30, to 35, to 40, within a matter of 8 seconds or very, less. Very quickly. Just like riding a bull. And you're not wearing a barefoot suit, you're wearing board shorts, and I'm also assuming this is before you were sponsored by comp- uh, Compression Boxer Short Company as well. That is true. And this are probably in the days when you probably wore absolutely nothing underneath your board shorts. And you go, and you go, you try once, twice, three, four, five times, and finally your fifth time, and I'm like, Chad, are you sure you want to keep going? And you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to stop till I fit, till I learn this thing. And I remember you putting your feet in, standing up, making it about 30 feet, letting go of the handle, swimming into shore, Grabbing the back of your trunks and, and running, <laughs> running into running the house. as fast as I could to make it back to the panaboat. Yeah, so, what would you say is that the poor man's colonic? It's a radar lake <laughs> colonic, I'd say. Have you uh, tried any of those deep water starts since? I actually haven't. Not one. Not a single. Just so you know, we're about the same size these days. Uh. You, you probably weigh more than I do in muscle, but we're probably about the same waist size. Uh, I've got a barefoot suit that will fit you. I actually I have one at the house. Oh, um, yeah? Your boy Peter Fleck hooked you he up? He dropped off a pack of them when uh, back towards the first feet on fire. Oh, really? Yeah, we had like two, we, I think I have two or three of them. I say we get back at it. I'm in. Hey, uh, what are the big plans for this summer? Any events in particular that you're looking forward to or that yeah, you're going to be riding in? There are going to be some great ones this summer. Um, doing all the Malibu, or three of the Malibu rider experiences. I'll be in uh, Phoenix, uh, Montreal, and Denver. And then um, all of the Ma- uh, Evolution series from Malibu. So you'll be in Japan? I'll be in Japan. You'll be uh, in Cancun? in Cancun. All right. So, I'll, I'll see you there, man. So I'll be at all those events amongst, uh, I'm going to, there's some bigger events at uh, different events through the year this year. So I'll be at most of those. And then uh, starting a pretty, what's looking like a pretty heavy film schedule coming up. So very cool. Definitely well, looking forward to big things this year. And we'll be looking uh, forward to seeing all that real fast. What happened to your blog? Uh, Chadsharp.blogspot. Well, yeah, but then it was fun when wet. Fun when wet.com. And right? it just kind of, it's kind of fizzled out. Um, I, I ran out of time with editing and all that stuff. It was kind of a one-man show for a while. And yeah, you were on a roll there for a while. It's. Uh, I mean, it's it's gone for now, but it's never. It's not dead. Well, I personally would like to see it come back. I thought it was really, really good for the for the sport. I thought you did a great job with it. So it, it was a fun time. It was. Uh, you know, it was just basically friends coming over and riding, and whatever we got, we got. Yeah, you actually. Uh, came over and took some photos of me trick skiing. That's right. It's always cool to see see you guys being cool with people that water ski. You know. Uh, I mean, they're just people. I, I mean, know, but we're, we're but, all but we're all friends. I know, but 1999. Were you were you that cool with water skiing or what? Well, here here's one thing that I've I've always noticed about water skiing. It's never the guys that are really good at water skiing or wakeboarding, for that matter that are the guys that have the problem with you on the lake or yell at you or whatever. And I'm saying from both sides. Right. It's always the, you know, the the guy that's not very good who thinks they are just the best at it that, you know, my, you know, I have family members that have been the big time skier and you were, you were, you competed three events. I did. You know, I did. 
Yeah, but now you're friends. Now you, uh, oh. you're friends with Thomas DeGasper. Thomas is an amazing dude. Uh, J Mac lives on my lake. Uh, went wake surfing with Todd Ristoselli two day, two nights ago. Like it's, it's just good people, you know. I, I you know the animosity between the sports. It all needs to come to an end because at the I, end of the day, we need to sell some boats. I don't, I don't, I don't see it so much anymore, especially with water ski. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, '90s there was, but I mean, even but if you went to a tour stop, I mean, those guys were right there with us. We were. You know, the Scotties and the Fitzies and the, they're right out with us every night. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Well, you and I were talking before we went, before we uh, started recording, you and I started talking about it and it would be cool to see you come out to Thomas DeGasprey's where I, I do a bit of skiing. I, yeah. I I come out here and I wakeboard and I ski. I've Ruck pulls me on the two tower here at Ronix. So I like to do anything. As long as I've got a handle in my hand, I'm happy. I don't care what's strapped to my feet. In fact. I don't need anything strapped to my feet to have a good time. So, just being being on the water, being on the lake, it's just always a good time with my friends, my peers, my fan, anybody. Yeah. You know, if I'm teaching, if I'm learning, I, I personally that that's that's what I love. So, uh, do you want to tell everybody about your sponsors and your social media? I'd love to. Um, riding for Ronix wakeboards. Um, we're obviously like Ronix, uh, Malibu boats, Rockstar Energy. Uh, these fine glasses you're looking at are Woodrose. My sponsor for yeah. the podcast. Oh, nice sunglasses, yep. Dan. Thank you. Uh, Duvin Clothing, uh, My Package Underwear, Performance Ski and Surf, and Burn Helmets. Very good. And, and uh, social media, how do they find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, Instagram is Chad Sharp. Uh, With an E? I believe that's just my Twitter. Okay, gotcha. Chad you. E Sharp for Twitter. Chad E Sharp. For Twitter. Chad Sharp for Instagram. Chad Sharp E. For oh, with an E on the yes, end. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so the the Twitter is Chad E. Sharp with the E on the end also. And the Instagram is Chad Sharp. Cool. We'll make sure to post that on the uh, page when this um, audio podcast goes up. You on Facebook? Uh, I am at uh, Chad Sharp. Is that your athlete page or is that a personal page? Uh, it's a personal page, but... Uh, you still got room for friends? I do. All right. You want to give out your phone number? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Chad. Well, judging by this phone, it's not going to do any good anyway. Well, not for long, but you'll have the same number when you get a new phone eventually here. True, true. Chad, it's, it's, it's hard to name riders that have had such a career like you. Uh, you continue to remain relevant and you still compete at the highest levels uh, personally, I'm not sure if you truly get the credit that you deserve for all of the years of effort and what you've actually brought to the table. But, uh, hopefully with this episode, people will be able to go out and find more information about you and, uh, or for those folks who maybe knew you back in the day, will go back and, and look up some, some more of the stuff that you've been doing because I watch your videos and... To me, it's insane to see the fact that you are still putting your body on the line. You are still riding as good, if not better, than you did when when we were uh, much younger. And uh, Chad, I want to congratulate you on uh, such success, and I want to thank you for being on my podcast. Oh, thanks, Dano. Thanks a lot for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Really a cool experience, and I'm really glad we got to do it out here. Absolutely. Again, thank you for, for being here and thank you for invite, inviting us out here and uh, uh, the view and everything here at Lake Ronix. And we thank everybody from, from Ronix Wakeboards as well for having the golden mic out here. And with that being said, folks, we'll be right back with some closing thoughts after a quick break here 
on the Golden Mike Podcast. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and a love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Follow Woodrose on Instagram at Woodrose or check them out online at Woodrose.com. That's W-O-O-D. R-O-Z-E dot com. Chad is one of the most laid back dudes I know. You know, Chad Sharp was one of the first people I met when I moved down to Orlando, Florida in about 2002. Since we've met, Chad is the kind of friend who will always go the extra mile for a buddy. I have been with him at demo days and events where he'll get in the boat, he'll pull every single last rider until the sun goes down even if it means he won't get a ride. I personally think Chad is a legend, too. He was hitting bigger rails and gaps at a time when there was really no safe way of learning how to do it, putting his body on the line each and every time he hit the water. He helped pioneer rail riding as we know it today. His ability to perform behind anything, be it boat, cable, winch, watercraft, or whatever, along with his open-mindedness and lack of fear, have helped Chad become one of the all-time greats in wakeboarding. I hope you all enjoy listening to this one as I did recording it. I'm looking forward to working with Chad all summer long, and you folks can follow all that action through my word and photo blog, The Noise, on iWake.com. Now, remember guys, I love email. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. Get in touch with me anytime through goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com or you can also message me at the Golden Mike Facebook page. Check out the website noiseofthenorth.com for a posted schedule of events I'll be attending over the next five to six months. Also guys, I'm on Twitter. Follow me at the Dano T. Mano and at the Golden Mike. And on Instagram, it's at Dano T. Mano. Before we go, a few shout-outs to the sponsors and the folks behind the scenes. Thank you to iWake.com, Performance Ski and Surf, PerfSki.com, Hydra Fenders, Hungry Boards, SUP, Woodrose, Jammy Pack, GoPuck, my friends at Logos That Pop, and Empire Sound and Lighting. Thanks again to my guest and friend, Chad Sharp. And that's going to do it for today's show. I appreciate you all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Daniel Vamano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.